Hello and welcome to episode two of Giant Mess, a show about two giant messes, the Giants and the Mets. It's hosted by a giant mess. I'm Neil Lynch. I am a giant mess. Case in point, I recorded another two-hour podcast slash show with the wrong microphone input. And that's part of what this whole show is. It's a learning experience, everyone. So here we go. Take two, again, for the second week in a row. Can you handle it? On this week's episode, we talk about my meeting with Barstool Sports. How did that go? What went down? Who did I see? It's pretty interesting. We'll also talk about the Aziz Ansari special on Netflix. What did I think about it? How is it different? How did he respond after everything that's gone down with him, which is uh, pretty bananas? We'll also talk about um, some movies, the 20th anniversary of the Blair Witch Project, along with uh, the most recent movie news. Of course, uh, this week in history for the Mets, along with some ramifications of uh, some possible trades that might go down um, and how that's looking going into the towards the, the trade deadline. And then we'll look at uh, Madden ratings for the Giants. Oh, boy. That's going to cause a stir. And that's what we got on tap for this show. So, my meeting with Barstool Sports. It happened on Wednesday morning, uh, the day that uh, episode one published. Tuesday night, the night before the meeting, all right, I was finishing up editing the podcast, the audio format for the show. Finished it up around nine or ten, uh, and I gathered all my equipment. I don't know if you can't see this on the, with the camera. I don't want to take the camera and move it around because I'll probably fuck up something and want to re-record this again for the thirty thousand three thousandth time. But a lot of equipment here: laptop, iPad, microphone, wires, cables, chargers, iPhone—just a lot of stuff to carry. And of course, I'm the kind of person who's a camel, a mule, if you will. I don't like making multiple trips. I'm lazy. A lot of people know that about me. I want to do one trip, one trip only. So, of course, I try to pull everything together and carry it down in one trip. It's like, dude, it's just one flight of stairs. Take it down, whatever you can, come back up, go down for a second trip. But nope, I got to do everything in one trip. It's just, it's a disorder. I don't know what the name is for it, but it's a it's a debilitating disease that it's going to cost me my life one day. That is for sure. So I gather up all my shit, go down the stairs, turn the corner through the dining room, around the corner towards the living room. I can see my wife on the couch, the promised land. It's there. Now, the house is dark. The lights are off. Okay. I wrote about this in my blog post about episode one. If you didn't read it, I'm just doing a little recap. Walking towards the living room, full steam. All right, I got a lot of mind. I got a lot on my mind. Not necessarily money on my mind, but I got stuff on my mind. All this shit in my hands, and I don't see the table that we're using as a baby gate to prevent the baby from falling down the basement stairs. It is blocking the hallway from the living room to the kitchen. I do not see this, and I... I mean, this table is on its side, okay? The legs are sticking out towards me. They are metal, they are sharp, and they cut me deep. I go right into it, and I fall over, spill onto the ground, 
I just found my GoPro camera like an hour ago. No clue where it went. It was under the couch. Why I didn't look there first, I don't fucking know. Dumb. But the laptop crashed, iPad crashed, external hard drive crashed. Everything to the floor. I thought bones were sticking out of my body. I thought my shin bones were sticking through the skin like Kevin Ware, Gordon Hayward, Frank Gore. I, I definitely was in a tough spot. I was in shock. And I'm not easily shocked. You can ask all my ex-girlfriends. Very protective of the butthole. But yeah, I was in shock. I thought, oh my God, I can't walk anymore. Of course, Cassie was all over me, doting over me. Just, to, I mean, she's so, I mean, just caring, loving, and want to make sure I was okay. And I was just embarrassed. I was just moaning, not in pain, but I was embarrassed. I'm a grown man. I didn't see something. I tripped. I fell. And it was bad news bears. So I'm, I'm covered up in bruises, bleeding. And I decided to go try on my suit. Dumb. Dumb. Come on now, Neil. Think about that. I didn't even clean up. I immediately went upstairs to try on my suit for this meeting with Barstool. And I'm thinking to myself, just don't get blood anywhere. It's like, you're going to get blood everywhere, dude. You're going to look like a complete psychopath with blood all over your suit when you go to meet with Barstool Sports. That probably would have got me the job, if we're being honest. That probably would have been bonus points, brownie points. So I try on the suit. I try on a purple shirt, button down. Looks good. But I got the red light. A no-go from the wife. So now I got to wear this white button down the shirt. And it looks nice, but guess what? I need cufflinks. Now, cufflinks. Is that a pro? Is that a con? What's the etiquette on that? When you're interviewing for a job, that's not an investment bank. This is not a job, finance job. Okay? I don't want people knowing that we have any money at all. We're bankrupt. I need this job. That's what the, the message you got to get across to these people. Don't let them know that you are not starving. So cufflinks that screams investment banker. And that worries me. It makes me panic. It makes me think, okay, that's another thing that uh, is going to be held against me. Oh, this guy's got money for cufflinks. So he doesn't need a job. No, it was a gift, dude. Same with my watch. I couldn't find my watch. I have no clue where that fucking thing is. It was a gift for my wife for our wedding. Okay, it's not a very flashy, gaudy timepiece, but it looks nice. It's a piece of jewelry. It's not like a swatch. You know, it's not an Apple watch, even though I think the Apple watch might cost more. You know, it's got a good look to it. Gunmetal. Very impressive when you say gunmetal. Not that I'm pro gun. It's just like you say gunmetal and people are like, yeah, fuck yeah, badass. Couldn't find that watch. And that's probably for the best. If I wear the gunmetal watch with the cufflinks, it's like, why is this guy even looking for a job? So stupid. But that's my paranoia. That's my neuroses kicking in. So I couldn't find the watch. Try on the suit. Suit works. I guess I got to wear the cufflinks with the white shirt. And I have a call that night with someone from Barstool. I'm not going to name names. But they helped me out, gave me the 411 on what to expect, what to do. Nothing major, nothing groundbreaking, not, nothing like earth shattering, but it was just like, it was nice just to talk to someone, coach me through it. And then I decided to do, then I decided to do research. That's me. Last minute lynch. 
I wait to the very last minute to save the day in true heroic fashion. It's just, I'm a procrastinator. I don't know why. And the, the sad thing is I know I'm doing it. I'm like, I am currently procrastinating and I cannot stop myself from doing it. So I did research from 10.30 to 2 in the morning on my laptop in bed. Research, research, research. And I felt like I was in a better spot after doing that. Problem is, you know, I mean, you don't need sleep, right? For an important day, for a test or a meeting or an interview or anything important the next day, you don't need sleep, right? That's not the number one piece of advice people give you is to get rest. Now, keep in mind, I've never pulled an all-nighter. I probably should have considering all the people in college who did pull all-nighters and are far more successful than I am. So you would think, uh, you know, I'm not going to pull an all-nighter here, but, you know, get more than four hours of sleep, Neil. So I asked my wife to take care of the baby in the morning, and she did, and I got an extra hour, hour and a half of sleep, and I think it paid off. You know, and getting into the city from where I am, the Jersey Burbs, you'd think it'd be easy. We're only like less than 20 miles away. That's not, you know, it's like a Patrick Mahomes could hit that with a football. But you have to pad some time. Without traffic, it's like half an hour drive. With traffic, it's it's 15 years. It's tough. So you got to leave earlier than expected. And sometimes you get in earlier than expected. And that's what happened. I got in at 10. Meeting was at 11. Before 10. So I went and got some breakfast at a place called Lenwich. And what I love about Lenwich is... I try to eat healthy there. I know I don't look it, but I'm trying. The weekends, not so much. The week, I'm going to be trying to be healthy. Problem is, these menu items that are healthy, can we get better names for guys or for people who are normal, who feel self-conscious about ordering said health items? Like I, The healthiest thing that I got on the menu is called Egg White Delight. I cannot say that out loud and have people respect me. Now, you might know me. You might not know me. You might say, huh, what's wrong with that? But you see me out in the wild. I got a resting bitch face. I'm not smiling. I might come across as a tough guy a little bit. Not so much, maybe. But, you know, I'm six foot, 235. I'm not, the, I'm not, you, you don't expect me to order something called an egg white delight. And then I got to say it out loud. I can't just read off the ingredients to the cashier because she's going to say egg white delight loud in my face like you should have said it now you're making me say it so yeah egg white delight tasty real good it's just like i don't want to say that can we just come up with a code name or something like that a nickname a wink and an elbow nudge like i just don't want to say egg white delight in front of all these people so stupid so i hang out eat have my second coffee of the day just the right amount of caffeine because this was one of the best meetings interviews I've ever had on point. No mumbles, no grumbles, no rumbles, no fumbling. Just on point. Everything. I had an answer for everything. It was a perfect game for being honest. Yeah. MVP type performance. But I'm not talking about the meeting itself. I'm going to talk about the Barstool office. I walk in, uh, first of all, professional move on my part, not a rookie mistake for once in my friggin' life. 
I knew not to wear my blazer, my, my suit jacket on the bus or while walking down the street. That's how your suit jacket gets fucked up. So at least I had the wherewithal to know that, right? Because it, it is July. It is hot. Temps are up. Moisture, humidity. Can't be walking in there looking like you just came out of a shower or a waterfall. This ain't TLC music video, you know? So I don't wear my jacket. Finally get to the spot, the office, slide on the jacket. I'm looking cool, crisp, calm, collected. Get up to the second floor. And to the left is the main recording studio, podcast studio, audio room for uh, where they record Sirius XM shows. So like the Sean Latham show was live while I was there. To my left, you had Vibs, you had YP with his, his kicking his legs up, which is so boss, so baller to do that while recording a live show. Imagine me doing that right now. I'd look like, you know, it just didn't look right on me. YP pulled it off. And you had Jordan Berry. And they're doing their thing. Straight ahead is Ebony, who, if you're a Barstool fan, you know Barstool Sports, you know Ebony. She's uh, Her official title is like front office, receptionist, administrative office support type thing. But she's pretty good on air. She deserves her own show, if we're being honest. Hilarious person. And she has a sign on her desk that says, Ebony the Intimidator. I didn't need that sign. I know she intimidates. But for some reason, I'm feeling good that day. And I'm not intimidated. I give her a smile, give her a smirk. She, she flashes it right back to me. She knows that I know that I know that she knows that we know, right? That I know. I say, hey, Ebony, what's up? I got an 11 o'clock appointment. She was like, okay, took a seat. And was like, yeah, like, we're already best friends. We're already like have our own show together. So I take a seat. <sighs> Zach Wheeler to the aisle. Good God. Anyway, take a seat. Got the Sean Latham show over here, and Glenny Balls and Za are talking to Ebony, just shooting the shit. Jeff D. Lowe walks by, handsome looking dude. And then PFT commenter enters with Ellie Schnitt. Ellie Schnitt is as tiny and as small as you think she would be. And I was almost surprised that she was smaller. PFT commenter didn't even, wasn't even wearing his sunglasses on his face. He had them up. So I could see his eyes. And it was like that moment where in Pulp Fiction, where like they open that the trunk with the briefcase and it's like that the glow comes out, shoots out and blinds you. That's what happened when PFD had his sunglasses off. It was just like too majestic, too beautiful. Had to look away. So yeah, it was a tremendous experience. I love the the office is not cramped. People are not like on top of each other. No one's yelling. You don't get that weird, queasy, nauseous feeling that most offices have where it's just like, you know, negative vibes, just good vibes, positivity all around. People saying hi to each other when you walk by, smiling. It's the life. It's the dream. And I got a good feeling. I really do. I think it's going to pan out. And I think it's only a matter of time before I'm there. The best was when I was leaving and my, the person I met with, who's been on Barstool Radio, I don't want to give too much away, but she has been on, she, well, clue number one, clue number two, she's been on Barstool Radio, clue number three, it was during the week before they closed down for 4th of July, that's all I'm going to say. She escorted me out and YP was coming in because they just, they'd finished up with their show on Sirius XM. So he was coming in with his, uh, I guess, brunch, breakfast brunch. And he's like, 
it was two seconds, maybe less. And I could sense that he's just got, he's just a good dude. Smiling, just real relaxed and chill. He's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, you don't have to apologize, dude. But just, it just seems like a good, healthy spot to be. Now, of course, Dave wasn't there. Dave's in Nantucket for July. So maybe it's a whole different ballgame with Dave in the office. But um, I can see myself there. I've been seeing myself there for 10 years. I really thought this is where I'm going to end up. You know, I mean, no matter where I am, I put in 110%. And I would love to stay wherever I was because I'm a loyal dude with a strong work ethic. But I always thought, man, I would be a perfect fit for this place. And I still think that's the case. So cross your fingers, all right? Because it's going to happen. And when it does, you know, let's party. So the downside to my epic spill, my crash, is my external hard drive got fucked big time. Like, I can't edit anything on it. I can't open anything on it. It's just screwed. And so I had to get a new external hard drive. And that's why the video was so late. Like, the audio published on time Wednesday, as it always does every week, which that might change. We might do the multiple times per week. I don't know. I'm not, you know, I'm the one running the show here, Neil. Just do what you feel is right. So the video was late because... The external, old external hard drive is all banged up. It's on the IL, much like Zach Wheeler. And trying to get it to work <laughs> was an all-day affair. And then buying the new external hard drive, fuck PC Richard and Son. I know I'm, I'm burning a bridge with a potential sponsor. <laughs> Episode two, I'm talking sponsors. But I've now bought two things from them, and I've returned both of them almost immediately because it's the wrong thing each time. And the sales associate is just like so sure of himself or herself that it's like just take a second to make sure you're you're getting what I need. And of course, the guy that I immediately like I walked out, looked on the box and I'm like, nope, wrong. Walked back and the guy's like, yeah, but it says you need to download a driver to make it worth make it work with Mac. And I'm like, no, dude, do you know you don't know me, but I don't have good luck. I have lynch luck bad luck so i'm gonna try and download this driver it's not gonna work and then i have to drive back no i'm gonna fuck it up for sure let's just return it so return it get the new external hard drive plug that in plug the old external hard drive in and here we go try and copy the files from the old one to the new one and it says preparing a copy and then it says the number of files and that number i checked in Every hour, because it took hours. 100,000, 200,000, 300,000. I went to bed. I started this process at like three, four in the afternoon, I think, something along those lines. I let it run overnight. I come back the next morning, it's still fucking going. Preparing to copy, not copying, preparing to copy. A lot of files, dude. It was up towards 600,000 files, might have been 800,000 files. Okay, I merely picked the laptop up and the old external hard drive just slipped just a little bit. Boom, done. 
whole process canceled. None of the 600,000, 800,000 files went over. You wonder why this, th- this show is called Giant Mess? You're, you're getting, I mean, these are two prime examples. I mean, it's one long example, but two incidents within that example of why I'm a giant mess and life is a giant mess. I now have to go over that whole thing again. All that time, all those hours are preparing to copy down the shitter. So be it, dude. So that's why the video was late last week. It's probably why the video would be late this week. And I got feedback on last week's video. We need more, need more, just do Mets. Don't do all that other shit. <laughs> it's like, that's not the point of the show, but all right, I got you. Thanks, Alex. Um, yeah, the point is I'm, I'm going to try and edit the, the show into segments if I have the time, which I have a lot of time. Um, now that I know I won't be working for HowardStern.com. Found that out. Um, but this has been, it's been a tough week. All that stuff aside, um, July 13th is not uh, a great day for me. July 13th is the day that my father passed from a uh, cardiac arrest. It was in 2006, 13 years ago. Uh, so it's kind of like that's, Whenever that day rolls around, it's the whole week, really. It's like the days leading up to it and then the actual day. And, you know, it just never feels right. Always puts me in a funky mood. I get really down, um, you know, thinking about what happened and what he's missed since he's been gone and what I've done in that span, how he would have reacted to everything that's going on, you know, from me working at Playboy, what his reaction would have been to that. Um, to just everything, my podcast that I had with Mike DePalma called Tri-State Sports Guys, you know, what he would have thought of that. I mean, he's always, he was my hype guy. He's my hype man. He was always proud of what I did. Um, you know, complete strangers who go up to him and be like, yeah, so Neil, and they're like, uh, what, who's okay. So yeah, it's a tough week and it's a tough day, July 13th. So, but that day I was going to go to a cornhole tournament down at the Jersey shore that my friends host. It happens every year. It's always around right around this time. So it's kind of, kind of a nice distraction, I guess, to be around so many friends that I don't normally get to see playing cornhole. One of my favorite games, and of course, day drinking, which I excel at. I'm not good at much, but day drinking kind of my forte, no big deal. Um, but on the way down, it took me like two hours to get down. So there's tons of traffic, which shocker during the summer going to the shore who would have thought but so there's tons of traffic and i actually witnessed an accident i have no idea what the aftermath of this accident is so apologies if it's uh anything really bad happened but i actually caught the tail end of it it was around exit 136 on the parkway i believe uh going south and i just you know was in the far left lane i was going you know a respectable speed and there was a sudden slowdown that was unjustified just like you couldn't see any traffic ahead so it slowed down quickly and i looked to my right and I, I witnessed the tail end of a jeep flipping i mean it was basically like flip flip done would stop flipping and people were already running to it it was like it almost it didn't even stop flipping it and people were already running to the accident which makes me think that it 
I don't know, been flipping for a while. They've been a long accident. Um, very scary. Um, I hope everything turned out all right. I don't, I didn't do any research about what happened, but I'm hoping everything turned out okay. I thought about calling 911, but I'm like, this parkway is packed with people. There's probably a million people calling 911. I don't want to add to that. So I hope everything turned out okay. But it got me thinking. Because I'm a superstitious person, because I have Lynch luck, because it is the anniversary of my father passing, you know, it is July 13th, the number 13, unlucky. It's the 13th anniversary of my father passing. I got that going on inside my head, and I just started panicking. I got anxious. I'm like, I think something bad's going to happen to me on the way down here. There's too many friggin' people on this parkway. And sure enough, I did have a close call, of course, because Google Maps decided to fuck with me. I was like, hey, <laughs> I know your brain's in a pretzel and you're uh, full of dread. So how about this? We'll throw a curveball at you. Unnecessary curveball. Took me off the parkway when I didn't need to go off the parkway. So I had a guy at my ass. He comes around me to the left. He cuts me off to the right. And then I'm like trying to switch lanes and the guy coming up behind me. If you drive a Mercedes Benz, let me throw this out there. You're a dickhead. That's all. I just think you're a dickhead. I will never own a Mercedes Benz. Um, I'm not saying you shouldn't own a Mercedes Benz. Drive what you want. You're a dickhead. That's all. And I think that happens with a lot of like sports cars or like really high end luxury cars. And maybe why I don't really want to own one is because it's just like it gives you like this power. You feel this power inside them. Like, how can you drive a fucking Bugatti or something like that on a highway or, or a road and not just want to go three million miles per hour? You know, it's not your fault. It's the car's fault. The car gives you that that unmitigated sense of, I don't know, godliness, power. And you just feel like you have to use that power. Otherwise, what are you doing with life? So it's not your fault that you're a dickhead. It's just that it make the car makes you a dickhead. And I think Mercedes Benz in particular, it makes you a dickhead. If you get rid of the car, maybe you're not a dickhead. I don't know. Try it. So, but yeah, that was probably my fault. <laughs> All kidding aside. Uh, I deserve the beep. But uh, I don't know. I took it to heart. I take a lot of things to heart that are just like, it's like a two second interaction and then it'll affect me for the, it affected me for the next four friggin' days. Um, but I made it down in one piece. I was very late. Turns out it didn't matter. I get to the, uh, venue, my friend's place, beautiful place. They just had a backyard redone. Perfect for cornhole tournaments. And they do random drawings to assign teams and make the brackets. And of course, I get paired with my friend's wife, who is a lovely woman, but who's also a new mother. So she's exhausted. And she cannot, and she's away from her baby, and she cannot wait to be with her baby again. So just to give you a sense of like the dedication that we have <laughs> as a team. And she immediately apologizes to me. And I'm like, all right, we're off to a good start. Um, and of course, we were the first team eliminated. So she got back to her baby. That's good news. I bring this up because there was a blackout on the Upper West Side of the city. And you're saying, Neil, how does that affect you in this cornhole tournament? Well, 
Another friend's wife who is participating uh, is a manager of a restaurant on the Upper West Side. Had to deal with that for two, three hours. That sucks. <laughs> you have horrible hours to begin with, and now you got to go. And you're, you're trying to unwind, and now you got to deal with a fucking blackout at your restaurant and guide. Like you can't go back. It's a shit show trying to get there, and now you got to try and guide others. Like, uh, yeah, I get the generator. No, not that generator. The other generator, the one, the the red one. Yeah, the no, it's not there. It's talk to Tony, and but I mean, like, two hours of that. So luck. I mean, luckily for me, <laughs> I got to fill in for her and take over. Got in the play-in game, and then we got beat by the team that eventually won. Um, the team went undefeated. They're amazing. The one guy, uh, I swear, is a professional player. Literally, I was standing next to him, and anything I did, he matched or did one better. I get on the board, he gets on the board. I hold out, he holds out. I get on the board, he holds. I mean, it's just like there was no enjoyment with this cornhole tournament. Every shot, there was a split second of joy that was immediately robbed and taken away from me milliseconds later. And it got to the point where they were like, they had already won the tournament, but we just kept going and they just kept challenging people left and right. Like, and they had challengers challenge them. And so they requested me at one point and they requested this other guy who's decent. And we took it to him and we went in the overtime. We almost won. We should have won. On one of the overtime rounds, I hole out on the very first throw. All I have to do is put a bag on the board. And I couldn't do it. I went 0 for 3 on my next three shots. The guy, my opponent, standing right next to me, misses. He misses. He misses. He holds out. We go to another round. And, of course, they win in the next round. Story of my life, by the way. It's exactly what I should have expected. So we were up to like 2, 2.30 in the morning and just shooting the shit out in the backyard. And uh, they had a lovely spread, by the way. I'm, I'm always impressed with their spreads. I'm, I mean, I'm obsessed with food. I just love food. And they had egg, egg rolls, dumplings, fried chicken, fried chicken sliders, cut up wraps. Ugh, so good. So damn good. And uh, but it got to around two two thirty, and the table that we're sitting around is just packed with empty bottles. And I told, it was you know we're in the trust tree, right? We're on the trust tree. I'm just talking about life, getting older, things of that nature. And I was telling them about um, you know, wet dreams. Yeah, most adults don't have them still. Now, if you're an adult, you probably have grown past that. Not me. I'm a rare case in pretty much all instances. Like night terrors, I have night terrors. That mostly affects children, okay? I think it affects maybe 1% to 3% of adults. And I'm in that 1%. I'm the 1%, but not like the wealthy 1% that I would love to be a part of. It's always the rare, fucked up 1%. And I guess I'm in like the one to three percent of adults that still have freaking wet dreams. And they're not even great. They're not good. They're not even average. Blow average at best. I had one the other night where it was literally I just me like slowly rolling out of bed. 
That's it. That is the extent of it. I'm just trying to get out of bed, roll out of bed, the fat fuck that I am, like a turtle on its back, like that video you saw of the guy getting pushed on the revolving luggage claim belt who can't get up. Yeah, that was me just trying to roll out of bed. Boom. Got to wash the sheets. And why am I sharing that with you? I don't know. It's funny. I mean, maybe you're grossed out, but like, hey, don't don't think too hard about it. Just know that that's where I'm at mentally and physically. Not at my peak, not at my prime. But the guys enjoyed that. They love that story. I told a couple other stories that probably can't. I know you think, how can I get worse than that? It can, and it did. But I won't share that story now. Not today. So that was the cornhole tournament. Of course, you know, I went to bed at 2, 2.30 and and woke up to, they have three kids. So like all the three kids like congregated and they're like, let's just fuck shit up. And as soon as the sun came up, they were like, um, you know, doing what they do best, playing at a uh, high volume. So yeah, I woke up at like seven, eight o'clock in the morning and Sunday was a wash, you know, Cassie, my wife's like, Hey, your mom wants to talk to us. And I was like, that's great. We'll do that tomorrow. And of course they did not respect my wishes. And I was a, a lump of clay on the couch. I slept, I had like four or five naps, had to set a record with naps that day. Cassie also wants to throw a huge birthday party for Brielle. Uh, who's turning one in September. I mean, she wants to throw a big time party. And I'm like, this kid is not going to remember it. I mean, we can take all the photos and videos we want, but that kid's not remembering shit. And I saw that Cardi B is planning to spend $400,000 on culture's first birthday party. And I was like, all right, maybe we can do a moon bounce (laughs) that Brielle can't go in. I just, I just think let's just save it for like the big birthdays that actually matter. Like I want to go all out for her 18th. If she'll have us, she might be in college at the time. Uh, 21st birthday party. I'm willing to shell out for that. I'd say maybe 13, either 13th or 16th, you know, that's, those are pretty big time. So maybe I'd, I'd spend some dough on it, but anything other than that? No, dude, here's a cake. Here's a couple of decorations. Um, maybe we can play a game that doesn't cost money. Like who's in my mouth? No, just kidding. It's a Dane Cook joke and no one likes Dane Cook anymore. Sorry. Speaking of comedians, uh, we watched the Aziz Asar and Sorry stand up special on Netflix on Friday night. Ordered a pizza and some wings and I got to say the pizza was delish. I had most of it. Their wings stink. I don't understand why people can't get wings right, but these were like little baby chicken wings. I I don't understand it. It it blows my mind. There's such a high demand for wings, and maybe Buffalo Wild Wings, this is why they've grown to such prominence and they're so popular now, but I have not been able to find a go-to wing spot in I don't know how many years after college. In college, down in Baltimore, we used to go to a place called Bill Baton's. Bill Batemans, look it up in Maryland. If you're a wing guy or girl, go there and just spend the day. Get there when it opens, leave when it closes, take some souvenirs, 
it's it's just a trip it's just enjoyable i i think if i get enough money i want to franchise it and just open it everywhere because they have tons of sauces and the wings are nice and juicy i don't care if it's genetically engineered pumped with steroids i need those big beefy wings man anyway we watched the aziz unsorry special and uh, you know i was very curious and interested to see how how he was going to address everything that's gone on since the allegations you know i didn't follow it too closely but i knew it was published it was out there and we didn't get unless i'm missing something i probably am we didn't get an official response from him necessarily saying like uh, i completely deny this or yeah this is right but this is wrong so i was hoping that this special like i guess maybe he was saving all that for the special I was hoping to get some more, you know, deeper personal insights. What was it like from his side of the story? You know, is it accurate? Was it completely false? Is it just a miscommunication, misreading, misinterpretation? Like what happened there? And we didn't really get it. He basically, it sounded like he was just owning up to it. He was just like, you know what? Uh, I feel like I've learned. I'm a better man. Oh, my nose. I am so sorry about the scratching of the nose. I was so good during the first two-hour recording of this. Oh, isn't there some kind of theory that if you're, you're like, your nose is itchy, someone's talking about you or some bullshit? I, I doubt anyone's talking about me, and if they are, it's not good. Um, so, yeah, I was hoping for, not necessarily for him to make jokes about it, about, you know, I mean, sexual assault or whatever. I mean, you can't joke about that shit, but um, just about the whole experience, maybe just peppering in some jokes or something. Like I, I brought up Richard Pryor when I was talking about this with a friend. I was like, Richard Pryor went through some serious shit in the 70s that is awful and that a lot of people probably can't joke about because it was so painful. But there he was joking about it in a special and it was fucking hilarious. I guess part of me was hoping that Aziz would do that, obviously, while trying to be as respectful as possible to whatever happened, to whoever is involved. But he didn't. He's pretty straightforward. Um, I got the sense that he was just really embarrassed, and it felt like an admission of guilt. And, you know, maybe that's just the mature side of him being like, I don't want to explore this anymore i want this to be it i don't want to i don't want to leave any stones unturned it's just like i could argue this till i'm blue in the face but i'm older now and i'm I've grown and i just want to learn from it and i don't want to continue this i guess that makes sense me even to this day when i'm if i were younger i would have i would have died on that hill if i were innocent or if i it didn't happen that way or whatever so it makes me think maybe it did happen that way. And he's just like, you know what? I made a mistake and that's that. I I don't know. I kind of was hoping for more. He was just seemed like a different person. He really did. He didn't seem like the old disease uh, that's just like bouncing around the stage and like wide eyed and whatever. He was, you know, he was sitting on a stool for most of it. Um, a lot of hushed deliveries. You know, there were a few moments where it was like prolonged. He's like trying to really, really connect emotionally with the audience, especially about when it came to the parents. 
um, aspect where he's saying like, you know, you don't know how many years you have left with your parents. Well, I have 20 years left and that means 60 times a year. And I'm just thinking to myself, I didn't know that. I didn't put that number on my, my dad. And then, you know, 4th of July week, 2006, I hung out with him and I thought, you know, I can't wait to go to the bar with him and hang out with him and shoot the shit at the bar or like do stuff like that. And then he was gone days later. So that was a, that was a tough one for me. Cause it was just like, you take, I guess that was the point he was trying to make was like, you kind of take it for granted, but like him putting a number on it and saying you have that many times left. So make the most of those times, make the most of the time that you have right now. You know, you don't might not have the 50 and 60 times left that he kept on quoting. So, um, but it, you know, I think he tried to make the most of what was going on. I mean, the bulk of his two specials are about R Kelly and his love for R Kelly. <laughs> you know, and R. Kelly's going away probably for 15 years on federal sex trafficking crimes or whatever. And Aziz had two, I mean, they were pretty funny bits about R. Kelly. And then he has what happened to him. You know, it's a tough look. So I think it was him trying to, in a way, do damage control. It was still funny. It got pretty decent ratings on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, I definitely recommend watching it. But is it going to go down as like, one of his all-time best. Eh, I don't know. I, I, I think he's definitely, it's a new, he's, she's trying to evolve or he has evolved. Um, I don't know if I want more of that going forward, but it's, you know, it's nice to be introspective once in a while. And I think a lot of comedians want to do that on these specials. They want to make them special. They don't want it to be like, oh, I'm just telling jokes and jokes and jokes and jokes. They want to, connect on a deeper level and really have some kind of takeaway other than here, are just a bunch of a, a series of jokes. So it'd be interesting. I saw a lot of people roasting him on Twitter. Um, but it's like, you know, haven't you fucked up and like you're a comedian. So like your, your job is to make people laugh, but you fucked up and like you did something that doesn't make people laugh. And you know, I don't know. I guess people were not happy with the way he handled it. I mean, I wasn't overjoyed with the way that he handled it. I was hoping for something a little bit different, but, you know, at least he acknowledged it. I don't know that I can say the same for Louis C.K. I don't think he has acknowledged it. Or maybe he's gone the complete other way, and he's been, like, on the aggressive side of things and said, you know, fuck you for whatever. Um, and that he, like, tested it. He, like, wanted to stay out of it. Let it die down. Then he went out and tested it. And I guess didn't do well, according to people who are not comedians. If you are a comedian, you defend him because you want to defend comedy. You know, it makes me think about, you know, the article I wrote about the death of like comedy movies. You know, I saw Rotten Tomatoes had Get Out as like the number one comedy of all time. And I was like, get the fuck out. Like, you can't be serious about that. There's no way, dude. It's not a com. I mean, it's it's got funny moments, but it's not a comedy. It's a horror, horror thriller. Um, yeah. So there's a bunch of other TV news and movie news, but I don't know. Like, you know, Jason Momoa's dad bod. Like, he no longer has a six pack. There's a picture of him with like, you know, he's playing at his football weight. I'll say that. 
you know, your football weight, like you're not chiseled or shredded. Not to say that I was ever chiseled or shredded. Like I, I have permanent dad bod. I think if they were to operate on me for plastic surgery, cosmetic reasons, they'd be like, oh, we can't touch you. We move that and you're a goner. So it's just insane that anyone thinks that Jason Momoa has a dad bod. Like Thor, fat Thor in Avengers Endgame, that's a dad bod. I could buy that. But not what Jason Momoa is rocking. I like put on a few extra pounds to survive football season. That's not a dad bod. Mindhunter coming back to Netflix. Very awesome. I highly recommend watching season one if you haven't already. It's about uh, profiling serial killers when that whole program started with the FBI, I believe, or CIA. Now they worked with local police to try and track down these serial killers. Uh, season two gets into, ugh, I want to say Ted Bundy or someone like that, some big serial killer. Um, Diddy's bringing back Making the Band, MTV. I don't, I don't know. I don't really care about that. Netflix removed the suicide scene from 13 Reasons Why. I don't know why it took them so long. I would love to know the 13 Reasons Why they didn't remove it before it aired. I personally am on the side of that show, Glorified Suicide. I know it's like old man yelling at the clouds. We need to raise awareness for it. Obviously, it's an epidemic. I don't know that that's the way, though. It kind of glorified it in the sense that, like, hey, I commit suicide and I get a Netflix series. <laughs> I don't know. It's the 20th anniversary of the Blair Witch Project. Gross near nearly a quarter billion worldwide on a budget of 60K. That's what we call ROI. Um, it was one of the most successful indie films of all time. And that last scene, ooh, I mean, the first time I recorded this, I was retelling it and I got tingles in my brain as I was saying it. Like when she's going through the house into the basement and you see a flash of the guy in the corner. I mean, I'm getting it again. I'm getting the tingle again. Guy standing in the corner looking in, looking into the wall and she screams and then gets knocked unconscious or something. I mean, holy shit, dude. They, people thought they were actually missing. Like, that was actual real documentary footage, and those three people, the filmmakers, were gone. The mother was getting calls, like, of worry and concern. Like, did you know that your daughter's missing and there's now a documentary about it? I mean, that was, like, big time. And then they, uh, I mean, they obviously pioneered, that was, like, the what kicked off the whole found footage trend which you know i don't know that a lot of people had success with that except uh there is one movie that i, I remember or i can recall that was found footage that i really liked called chronicle that you could check out it's about these teens who discover this thing and they give them superpowers and i don't know i just thought it was really well done to be able to do found footage on that level um well i guess Clo yeah, cloverfield 2008 was found was found footage but before that was Chronicle or after that? I don't know. Those are the two that come to mind that actually did it well. Um, the Kingsman prequel uh, trailer for that hit the internet. I don't know, dude. I'm not into prequels. Prequels always go for that one moment where you're like, oh, so that's why that guy does that thing. It's like, uh, I don't know. With the Kingsman, I was very jacked up when I saw the Kingsman, the first one, and the I Want MTV opening scene came on. Holy banana land. That was amazing. I got chills uh, thinking about that. Very in on that movie. The sequel wasn't all that bad. I actually kind of liked it. Uh, but this prequel, I mean, the trailer's nice, 
But at the same time, I just, I don't know, dude. Did we need a prequel? Quiet Place 2 has begun filming, which is awesome. I remember seeing Quiet Place in the theaters, and uh, it was it was awesome sauce. Uh, I do remember this, though. Before the movie started, there were the trailers, and there was this row of people in front of us who could not stop talking. And not just like, just have a normal conversation where one person talks at a normal volume and then the other person waits, listens, and then responds at the appropriate time. These people were just yelling over each other. And it's like, this is fun to you? Okay, cool. Not in a movie theater, dude. And I remember the guy next to me, I didn't even know him. He just, he just leaned over and was like, I thought this was a quiet place. And I was just like, oh man, boom, roasted. Savage burn. Um... But yeah, at one point, it is the quietest movie of all time, for sure. Definitely. I remember it's so quiet that I could hear like a baby in the back corner of the theater. And I was like, who the fuck would bring a baby to a movie? And I'm like, well, if, I mean, if you think about it, if you're going to bring a baby to a movie, it might as well be a quiet place. Boom, roasted. Um, okay. Stuber. The movie with Dave Bautista and Kumail Nanjiani disappointed the box office. I mean, it was going up against Spider-Man, so like, what do you expect? Uh, but I, I'm I'm kind of disappointed that it didn't do better. Uh, critics are not giving it great reviews. I don't know that. Ugh, my nose stinks. So itchy. Um, I was hoping for more. I mean, I just thought it's a good odd couple buddy comedy Bautista and Kamel. I mean, that just seems like a, it's ripe for opportunity for comedic stuff. The, the critics are always going to hate comedies. Most critics hate comedies. The comedies that they like aren't comedies, i.e. get out. So honestly, I'm going to wait till I hear from the audience about it. I'm not going to pay any mind to the, the critics. Um, and of course, uh, I think the bigger news this week was that, Captain Marvel actress Lashana Lynch, Cuzzo, will assume James Bond's agent number 007 in the new Bond movie. I, you know, I don't think that means she's going to be the next James Bond. I think it just means she takes the number. But, you know, people are up, up in arms about it because uh, it's a woman and she's black. And it's like, all right, whatever, dude. I'm not a huge James Bond fan, so I could care less or couldn't care less. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I didn't see Captain Marvel either. So I think she was the, like the least liked character in Avengers Endgame. And she was, what's crazy is she was so instrumental to how that movie turned out, how the plot worked, the story, like she just come in and fuck shit up and take care of everything. But she was like such, <sighs> so weird about it, you know? And it's like, I get it. You got to like, you're patrolling the whole universe. So you like, you got a little bit of a toot on you. All right. I understand. But like, I don't know. I, I don't think she fit into the whole dynamic. And for her to be such an important piece of the puzzle and to come in at such so late in the game was also a little weird. And to not have the same gravitas as the other characters, like this universe that they're building has been going on for so long. And then you have this character who is not mentioned at all until an Infinity War. At the very end of Infinity War. I don't know. I think it, it, I think it's a missed opportunity. 
even the interaction she had with Thor, like it was meant to be like to get everyone on board with her. And it was like, it just felt forced. It was just like, uh, mm, nope, still not buying it. Um, yeah, and it, the, the Bond movies, like, we're in a tough spot with the Bond movies. Like, I, I don't know if I was really on board with Daniel Craig being the James. I only think I saw one of the Bond movies in the theater. It was the one with the Harvier Bardem and his weird blonde wig acting weird i don't even know was that skyfall i don't know so that might be the end of james bond to be honest unless they really i was kind of on board for idris elba to be the next james bond but so be it all right let's talk mets um i'm gonna do a new thing it's this week in history Mets history because like I don't know there's not a whole lot to look forward to with the Mets so I just I thought we should look back um July 10th 84 Doc Gooden is a rookie and he combines with uh Fernando Valenzuela to strike out six consecutive American League All-Stars Doc was only 19 when this happened and he was the youngest player ever to participate in the All-Star game he was recently arrested for cocaine possession in New Jersey um I don't know. Legalize cocaine. Regulate it. I don't know. <laughs> I won't get too deep into details on that, but it's unfortunate to see him still have that addiction. And I think that's why cocaine is probably not going to go the route of marijuana because marijuana is so being so widely accepted and legalized and regulated. I mean, Colorado's revenue is through the roof. Um, you know, San Diego, we were there and we were doing edibles and it was like, you know, it's definitely different environment, but I mean, if you can legalize it and regulate it, maybe you won't see this happen. I don't know. Addiction's addiction. So I feel for him. It stinks, but July 11th, 1976, this is my favorite promotion of all time. 34 couples marry at home plate and a wrestling championship match takes place in a promotion called Headlocks and Wedlocks. Hell yeah, dude. Of course, the Mets lost the Braves at Fulton County Stadium. But, I mean, dude, where are the promotions like this these days? We need promotions like this more often. No more bobbleheads and stupid shirts. Like that Stranger Things night at City Field, was that any good? Did anyone go to that? What happened there? Was it fun? I don't know. Headlocks and Wedlocks. Let's bring it back. Minor league, I feel like minor league baseball teams do that really well, for sure. But major league teams need to work it out. July 11th, 1985, Nolan Ryan uh, becomes the first major leaguer to record 4,000 career strikeouts against the Mets. He was a former Met, and man, in some alternate universe out there that Dr. Strange knows about, Nolan Ryan was a lifelong Met, and he led them to multiple world championships. Ugh, we love to visit that universe just one time. Um, July 12, 2011, K-Rod gets traded to the Brewers for two no-name players. Fantastic. Um, July 13, 1977, this is uh, 42 years to the day of the blackout. We had a blackout on July 13th, and there was a blackout July 13th, 1977, during a Mets-Cubs game. And my favorite part about this is uh, 
Mets players drove their cars onto the field and amused the crowd by performing a variety of antics in front of the headlights. Like, that's what I'm talking about. We don't see that from the Mets anymore. Where's the fun? Good God. I don't even know what the record was at that point in 77, but you just don't see that from Mets teams these days. I'm just so used to watching old school Mets highlights and you see like Roger McDowell put his bubble gum on some dude's cap or like setting a cleat on fire. Like, is that because there are no more greenies? Like greenies were the impetus behind that. Bring it back. Of course, July 14th, 2001, the Mets, uh, Bobby Valentine gets his 1,000th career win as a manager or he wins his 1,000th career game as a manager uh, thanks to Glendon Rush and Armando Benitez combining to throw a one-hitter. The Red Sox got their one hit on a first-inning bunt single because Glendon Rush couldn't cover first base. Glendon Rush, somehow professional athlete, blows my mind. And, of course, it's so Mets to not have a no-hitter because of a, a bunt single. Blech. Uh, July 16th. 2013, 15th to 16th, Matt Harvey named National League starter in the All-Star game, which took place at City Field. He's a 24-year-old rookie at the time, and uh, he was the first Mets pitcher to start an All-Star game since Doc Gooden in 88. He went two scoreless and struck out three. I mean, can we just take a mental vacation back to Harvey Day? The days of Harvey Day. That summer of 13, I had a cardboard cutout of his face at my desk, at my office. <sighs> so much promise, so much potential. I mean, the dark night. It was just a joy and a privilege to watch him. And we just took it for granted. We just thought this is what is going to happen for the next decade. Five to ten years, like, we're just going to have one of the most dominant pitchers in the league and nope, five years later, he got traded to the Angels for a bag of balls. Uh, unbelievable. God damn you, Matt Harvey. But we got Jacob DeGrom out of that. I mean, not directly because of Harvey, but Jesus. At least we got DeGrom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. July 15th, 2015, Kirk Neuenheis, Captain Kirk. Um, recently reacquired from the Angels, hits three home runs, his first three at-bats to complete a three-game sweep of the D-backs at City Field. Uh, his first, it was also his first three homers of the season, and it's the 10th time in franchise history a player went deep three times in a game, the first to accomplish it at home. Um, and this is reminiscent of Travis Darnell, who just hit three home runs against the Yankees, including a game winner. And now everyone's up in arms and saying, oh, I can't believe the Mets gave up on him. So you have that camp that's like, oh, you know, we should have kept him and look what he's doing, blah, blah, blah. And then you have the other camp, of which I'm a member, who says he wouldn't have done that with the Mets. He would have got hurt again for the 11 millionth time. That's just what the Mets uniform does. It's kryptonite. It makes every player play worse than they usually play. It's just a fact. July 16th, 2003, the Yankees send three pitching prospects to the Mets for Armando Benitez. Those three pitching prospects are Jason Anderson, Anderson Garcia, and Ryan Bicondoa, something like that. Yeah, they. I don't know what they're doing now. I applaud them for getting to that level. I, I didn't get to that level, so kudos to them for achieving that status. But they, I mean, yeah, 
not a great trade. Uh, Benitez was the setup man for Rivera, but he blew seven of 28 save opportunities with the Mets. I don't know. Maybe we can trade Diaz somewhere for three no-name prospects. And then July 16th, 2006, uh, Cliff Floyd and Carlos Beltran hit grand slams. Uh, it was the only, only the seventh time in baseball history a team has accomplished that feat in one inning. Two grand slams in one inning. Oh, man. Those were the days. That that team, I mean, that team should have gone to the World Series. I'll just say that. Yeah, so I, I mentioned it early on in the in the show. Zach Wheeler is on the IL with shoulder fatigue or some bullshit. I don't know. Great timing, Zach. I mean, I know you can't really control that, but that's so Mets for that to happen. So close to the trade deadline. It's July 31st, and now he's like, maybe he might be able to fit in one start. I don't know the severity, but, you know, we've tried to trade him so many times, and it just makes so much Mets sense that we probably won't be able to trade him, or if we do, we get absolutely nothing in return. And then, of course, he goes somewhere and then just pitches his dick off and is, like, amazing and an MVP candidate. Uh, there was one player that I didn't mention among the trade candidates last week that I should bring up this week, and it's thanks to Mike Petriello of MLB.com. His bold trade deadline plan, it's like basically trade everyone, which I kind of agree with, but trade Dom Smith. Yeah, I'm on board with that. You know, he's young and he's talented, and I mean, I can't believe we're saying this now. At this time last year, no one was saying this, but he's behind Alonzo, and Alonzo's your guy. Um... The other question mark is Ahmed Rosario. Do you trade him? I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to it. He's one of the worst defensive shortstops in the National League. They're thinking about moving him to center field, and it's like, what if he stinks in center field? You're going to wait like to spring training to find that out, and then all of a sudden it's like, what's his trade value then? He's hot and cold at the plate. Can you do better? I don't know. The, I mean, this is the major issue. If you're trading all these guys, Ramos, Diaz, Cano, Smith, Wheeler, Vargas, Frazier, you're trading like for basically half your team or more. What does that leave you with next year? And I think that was the major issue with uh, Mike Petriello's plan. And if you do, you're looking at the 2020 starting lineup of Jeff McNeil at second, which I appreciate. Michael Conforto on right, Pete Alonzo at first. Those are kind of your three definites. But then Brandon Nimmo, is he at, is he in center field with his bulging disc? I don't think I think that's going to be a lingering issue. That's going to it's going to be a problem moving forward. So you can't really you can pencil him in. You can't pen him in. And then in left, I guess Yo comes back, Cespedes comes back and plays in left, and then probably JD Davis at third. I guess maybe Rosario at short. You never know. And then at catcher is where I don't know that Thomas Nito is your your full time guy there. They're talking about maybe going after Yasmani Grandal, whatever. Uh, but at least we have Jeff McNeil, right? Batting average leader. He's the first player since Ichiro Suzuki to reach the all-star break with a batting average of at least 345 in their first or second season in the majors. And you're looking at like other players who have done that. Suzuki, Lenny Dykstra, Wade Boggs pretty good company to be in i love lenny dextra's uh response to that bagel boss video that that guy who's like five foot nothing bald 
a little pudgy who lost his shit in a, in a bagel store and got tackled. And like Lenny's response is, I don't know how he touched upon dick size, but like he, he said that, and this is the first time I've heard it, but it's not the first time he said it is like Daryl strawberry is a swamp mule. Feels racist, but it's not, I don't think. Swamp mule, not an actual breed of mule. I don't believe. I looked it up. I don't. <laughs> Daryl Strawberry is the only result I got. Um, I will say this: Robbie Cano has been getting uh, a lot of heat for the way he's playing, but he is now hitting 381 in his last 11 games and has six multi-hit games during that stretch. Obviously, I don't think he's going to be able to keep that up. But if we can get anywhere in between that and what he was doing, I think you get to feel somewhat better about the situation. Still not worth $24 million over the next bajillion years. but um, And this is the thing with the Mets in the second half. A lot of people want them to just straight up tank. Brody himself has even admitted that he's kind of in rebuild mode. He's disappointed. Um, you know, and I think they're going to move, try and move a lot of players, and they're not going to get a lot in return, which stinks. But it's like you got to move on, right? But he also said, like, we went after a number three hitter who's one of the best in the game, Robbie Cano. They went after the number one of the best closers in the game, Edwin Diaz. And if those two guys play up to their potential, where are you at? I think you're in contention. So as much as everyone wants them to tank, you just fucking know that they're going to reel off some kind of stupid streak and play with our hopes and dreams and be somewhere in reach within reach. They'll be in some kind of, you know, they'll be in position for like a hot minute and then they'll be the talk of the town and then everything will fall apart. Cano will obviously get hurt again, blah, 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 blah. And so it goes. But I think the downside that a lot of people were talking about was like if they do put together something together and they end up with somewhat respectable finish and we're talking about, well, if you take away the month of June like they were last year, you worry that the Will Ponds and Brody will get that in their head like, oh, we're actually not in need of a rebuild and I don't know. Doesn't feel like they're that far off though. I didn't get this feeling last... I mean, I know that they went on that tear last year and Nimmo looked like he was going to be like this uh, perennial all-star and like look where he is now. But like that Alonzo-McNeil combo is still going to sell tickets. Still going to get eyeballs. So I know it's stupid of me to say this, but there's something there. We're not completely fucked, dude. All right, moving on to the Giants. Uh, not much for this week in history on the Giants. July 11th, 2010, Bob Shepard, the uh, Yankees and Giants announcer. He passed away at 99. Um, yeah, I don't know. I might have something in my, uh, whatever papers that you, you gotta keep me up to a hundred. Gotta get me to a hundred. I feel like that's like, wow, hundred, 99 just fell short. Anyway, if you're not familiar with him, um, Great voice. I mean, like, memorable as all hell. Uh, of course, I know him better as a Giants announcer going to Giants games and hearing him talk. But, like, with the Yankees, I just remember him 
being like, uh, now batting number two, Eric Jeter, number two. And then for the Giants, he was always, uh, he'd be like, Dorset on the carry, Taylor and Banks on the stop, or something like that. Just real simple, real measured, but like very effective. Uh, so RIP Bob Shepard, thinking about you. Um, what a gig too. Whew, Yankees and Giants announcer. That is the life, my friend. That's probably why I lived to be 99. You just get to announce what's going on. And it's simple. You don't have to add any color or flair. Just talk. I mean, oh my God, what a life. Anyway. Um, Elliot Harrison, NFL.com, an analyst. He had released his head coach, NFL head coach power rankings. Of course, Bill, Bill Belichick is number one. Pat Shermer, dead last. Come on, dude. Seriously? Jay Gruden was at 22. Jason Garrett at 17. Doug Peterson at five. All right. Um, I don't. Shermer's really worse than Jay Gruden. I don't know if I buy that. Not to say that Gruden, I don't know. Garrett at 17 has got to be a huge kick in the dick to Cowboys fans. That sucks for you guys. I know they probably want Garrett. They've wanted Garrett gone for a long time. And the fact that you had the number one or two offensive line and you got Dak and Ezekiel Elliott and blah, 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 blah. And like you still can't get over the hump. Maybe because you have Jason Garrett as your head coach. I love that Ezekiel Elliott is holding out now for a big contract. You can just hold out as long as you want, my man. You get that money. My hope is that he holds out all of preseason and it takes him like four weeks to get back on track. Those are four weeks that we can get a leg up. So get that money, Zeke. Uh, of course, I think the major news coming out of uh, the NFL, uh, these fucking Madden ratings, dude, dude, which I mean, who gives a shit? I mean, I know I wrote an article about it last year. I wrote an article about uh, Eli had a 76 or something like that. And I was like, it's just a slap in the face. Like he doesn't deserve that. But like, who honestly cares? Um, well, it's even worse this year. He's a 72. And that's the worst rating for any starting quarterback. Um, I don't know. I don't I just don't think he deserves that. They have they have guys that just were not starters or that are starters by default above him and it's like give him a little bit of credit like chris sims you know stinks and it's another reason why i should be phil sims son and not chris sims chris sims rated eli's like the 34th best quarterback in the league like what are you fucking talking about he did it for clickbait i mean i i know what you're doing chris not cool like you're getting pub from it but like at what cost like, I don't mind being the heel, but there's like, there's a little bit of absurdity to 34th. And then Sports Illustrated says that Eli has a 40% chance of making the Hall of Fame. I mean, like, you're that hard up for page views, dude. That's what we're going with. 40% chance. He's like top, Eli's top 10 in almost every major passing category. And I know what most of you are going to say. He's a compiler, Neil. He compiles. I don't give a fuck. If you are in a league, professional sports league, for 15 years and you're putting up average numbers for all 15 years, 
you are in the Hall of Fame. No questions asked. That is one of the hardest things to do in the fucking world. And the fact that you're able to stay healthy and playing and starting for that long, you deserve it. I'm sorry. Even if he didn't have the two Super Bowl wins, you still have to put him in the Hall of Fame. You have to, dude. How do you play for 15 to 20 years as a starter and not get in the Hall of Fame? Ridiculous. Daniel Jones had a 63 rating, which I guess is sixth worst among rookie quarterbacks or something like that. I don't give a fuck. Like, that's just dumb. Barkley with a 91, which is great, except he's the fifth best running back. No, he is the best running back. Not just this year, but any year. Insane that anyone thinks otherwise. Golden Tate, 85. All right. Evan Ingram, 84. Okay. Sterling Shepard, 81. That's a little low in my mind. You have him worse than Evan Ingram? I mean, if anything, he's like on par with Golden Tate, maybe a little bit better. You're going to see a, uh, an outstanding year from Sterling Shepard. I mean, someone, uh, I forget who it was. Wasn't Tumor? Maybe it was Tumor, or maybe it was uh, Brandon Jacobs said that Sterling Shepard is a top five wide receiver in the league. That's a bit much, but he is definitely. I mean, he's gonna be the number one receiver for the Giants. I would say top fifty. I don't know. I, the guy makes unreal catches. He can make moves after the catch gotta give him a little more credit than that jabril peppers 84 i think he's gonna have a pro bowl season maybe not like first choice pro bowl but like alternate someone gets sick or injured or can't play because the super bowl i think you're gonna see him in the pro bowl dexter lawrence 76 uh people weren't happy about him getting picked at uh was it 17 i think that's just because he's a rookie i think you're gonna see him make some decent contributions so 76 might be a little low. Dalvin Tomlinson, 80. Okay. Janoris Jenkins, 80. That's low. Kevin Zeitler, 89. I love that. Aljic Rosas, 84. Love that. So, you know. Do with that what you will. I can't believe this player. I mean, the, 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 all this is is just it's, it's a promo for the fucking game to sell games. That's all it is. I, I guarantee you that whoever's putting together ratings is like, hey, pick like a couple guys per team and just fuck with the ratings. Just get them wrong big time. They'll talk about it. It's free publicity. We sell more games. Boom. Got it. All right. As far as stuff that does matter, I guess the Giants have suspended safety Cameron Moore um, until further investigation. He was arrested over the weekend. In Jersey for and charged with third degree, third degree aggravated, oh boy, third degree aggravated, oh boy, third degree aggravated assault. My tongue is aggravated at my friggin' mouth right now for punching a woman, knocking her unconscious, and stepping on her neck. I mean, that's pretty detailed. And uh, of course, the lawyer's like, she's making it up, but um, yeah, I mean, I guess you have to make that move. I didn't even know this guy was on the fucking team, so. I don't know that it's a huge loss. I mean, it's unfortunate if it did happen. Um, but 
hopefully it's not too much of a distraction and justice is served they caught the guy who shot Corey Ballantine and uh, murdered his friend, uh, some guy, 18-year-old from Kansas. Five counts of aggravated battery, first-degree murder, attempted first-degree murder. Simply put, I just want to know why. I wasn't mentioned in the article why he shot these two. I'm assuming that they said something shitty to him and he felt the need to, to, to shoot them dead. Oh, man, like, just why, dude, to take someone's life? I mean, I've been pretty pissed off. I'm more pissed off than most people. Anger issues, anger management, but I don't know, shooting someone dead. It's almost never justified. So it'll be, I'll, I'll keep tabs on that because, I mean, Ballantine, uh, uh, you know, I think he was, people like that pick. So who knows what's going to come of it. If it is random, so be it. But maybe there's more to it than we're not seeing. I don't know. On a lighter note, there are rumblings about the Giants bringing back those god-awful red alternate jerseys in 2019. No, thank you. Pass, hard pass. We never win in those fucking things. And I know that the last time we wore them was in 2007 and we went to the Super Bowl. I don't think we won in them during that season. I don't think we've ever won in them. So that's a hard pass. And, uh, you know, while we're at it, and this is going to kill a lot of people, because I know a lot of people love those, those 80s road unis, the all whites, the color rush pass. We cannot win in those things we played the eagles twice once at their place once at our place and we get we just get our hopes dashed i mean they look great but uh pass if anything let's try the 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 blues the 80s home jerseys let's give that a shot but the reds no thanks um So this guy, Adam Rank on NFL.com, kind of put together a guide for the Giants in 2019. I'm going to try and hit on some of these points real quickly. He thinks that Lorenzo Carter is going to be the breakout star. I sure fucking hope so, dude. Because we lost Olivier Vernon. Not that, I mean, I have my opinions about Vernon. But it would be nice to have someone step up in his place because he did lead the team in sacks, even if it was like eight. Um, and so, yeah, that'd be good to see. For the for the Giants to be successful in 2019, figure out the quarterback situation. Well, Eli is the starter. They are figured out. At least be competitive in the NFC East. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. You know, he says that they can't expect to win over the Eagles and Cowboys. I respectfully disagree, disagree with that. Um, we have finished, the Giants have finished last in the NFC East in three consecutive seasons, only once in franchise history, and that was in the late 70s. Ew. Don't want to revisit that era. Um, we have the worst record among divisions teams since 2016. Yikes. But we have the second easiest schedule. So that's pretty good. 
Um, there are some burning questions, which I don't know that they're really burning. I think that's clickbait too, but uh, I don't even know who put this out. 10 burning questions for the Giants. We'll go through them really quickly. Will Eli Manning improve on his 2018 season? Yes, because he's in his second year, getting used to the system that Shermer has put into place. He has a better offensive line. He, you know, I don't know. You could say OBJ was a distraction. He doesn't have to worry about forcing the ball to him. I mean, they did play well without him, despite what the historical numbers say. So, yeah, he will. Or, you know, he won't, and he'll be benched. So, will the Giants' plan of attack on offense su- sustain success with Manning? Yes, because they'll have a run game, and Manning is electric off the run, the play fake. He is a much better player and passer, as is as are most quarterbacks when they have a run game and they can do play action. Have the Giants done enough to improve the offensive line? Yes. Not as much as I, I would have liked. I mean, they should have been drafting one Will Hernandez per year for the past fucking 10 years. But the fact that they're at least, I don't know. It feels like they're in a better spot. I like the Kevin Zeitler trade. And I like Mike Remmers if his back is able to hold up, which the back, you know, big time problem area. Will the Giants find a consistent blocker to play inline tight end? I don't know. You know, they... There's so much hype and pomp and circumstance around tight ends, especially Giants tight ends. Everyone was, you know, they they brought in Rhett Ellison for way too much money and didn't utilize him the right way. There's talk of, there was always talk about Matt Lacoste being whatever, and it's like, who is he? Simonson also. It's like people just love talking highly about Giants tight ends, and it's just like, I don't know. Evan Ingram, if he holds on to the ball, could be the real deal but he's not an inline tight end. Do the Giants have enough talent at the skill positions? Yes. Will the Giants' plan of attack on defense sustain success without an elite edge? Yeah, I think so. I really do. I think Betcher, despite what happened with the defense last year and, and the lack of sacks that they were able to get, puts together a lot of interesting looks and schemes, and we were getting sacks from guys that don't even shouldn't be in the sack column. You know, cornerback, safety, line, you know, guys that are just like, if we can get more of that, I'm fine with it. Will the Giants find consistency at the inside linebacker position? Yeah, I mean, this is kind of like a do or die situation for uh, BJ Goodson. I think Ogletree had some nice performances last year, especially with, you know, just getting turnovers, making plays. But, you know, against the run, they're kind of getting moved around and they need to fix that. Will the young quarterbacks make an immediate impact? I mean, I've never felt more certain about something in my life. This is like the most talented roster of corners the Giants have ever had. Yeah, just said it. Rewind it back, play it again if you didn't catch it. Sam Beal, Julian Love, Grant Haley. Corey Ballantine, DeAndre Baker. Yes, 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 yes. All across the board. All talented and all going to make an immediate impact for sure. Are they going to make mistakes? Fuck yeah, dude. They're young. They're rookies, but they're going to make plays too. And that might be 
uh, a surprise to a lot of the league, but not to me. I fully expect them to come in and play well. And because of their coverage and the ability to make plays, it's just going to make the defense better overall. You're going to see more coverage sacks. You're going to see less strain on the linebackers. You're going to see the safeties not caught out of position. That having stability at the corner positions, you know, when they had all three, when they had DRC Jenkins and Eli Apple playing at their best, I mean, you saw what happened 2016. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm expecting big things from the corners. Will Jabril Peppers take a leap forward with James Betcher? Absolutely, dude. He just was not a fit in Cleveland. For sure, he is pumped to be out of Cleveland, and he is pumped to be with the Giants. You're going to see him play his best football. For sure. Uh, you know, and he's going to be the difference maker, not just on the defensive side of the ball, but in the return game as well. People forget that. Hashtag never forget. And the last question, will the Giants hold up against the run? Yeah, I mean, that's a question mark. And they face the Eagles and the Cowboys, two of the best run offenses in the league. So it's going to be tough. And and this is where... I'm, I, the defensive line is not the issue for me. It's the fact that uh, the inside linebackers, it's a lot. I mean, that's going to be where if there are issues, if there is a weakness, it's the inside linebacker position. Ogletree and Goodson on the run. Can they thump and can they uh, limit the damage? That's going to be the big, the most burning question of 2019. All right, so there's two more Stories on the docket really quick, finishing out with the Giants. Uh, Gil Brandt, who's officially 1,000 years old, but still kicking. God bless him. Uh, he came out with an article, Finding Homes for Top Remaining Free Agents. He believes that Calvin Benjamin is going to sign with the Giants, and I'm not opposed to it. I think it's I think it's a, it's a smart move if you can make it work financially. Uh he says the Giants were the 28th ranked red zone offense in 2018. And Benjamin's a big body, six foot five, 245 pounds. I mean, you know, when the Giants signed Brandon Marshall, I was giddy because I was like, this guy is going to tear it up in the red zone. And of course, he tore something else. Um, so I'm all about it. You know, I mean, we haven't had, when we had Plaxico, you saw the difference. The ability to score in the red zone. So if we can get Benjamin, you know, I love it. Of course, uh, Gettleman uh, was the general manager of the Panthers, and Mike Shula was the offensive coordinator of the Panthers when they drafted Benjamin, twentieth uh, overall. Twenty eighth overall. Uh, he had a thousand receiving yards as a rookie, but he's been kind of bounced around the Bills and the Chiefs. He's got beef with Cam Newton. I, I don't know. I mean, the the Giants are are becoming like a a shelter. I don't want to say for battered receivers, but for receivers that have have kind of gone through the ringer. I mean, Corey. Um, I'm like completely blanking on his name, and that is atrocious. Top pick for the Browns went to the Bills. He ended up with the Giants last season, and there's 
positive words about him and him making a difference and being a deep threat this year. So why not take in another guy who everyone has given up on? I like it. I think it would be great. It's just financially, I don't know that's going to happen. The Giants are very limited with their cap space. I think they have like $10 million to play with, and it's like maybe they can do one more move. But they have to sign Daniel Jones and Oshani Zemenez. I don't know. His initials are OX, so I'm going to call him Ox. Ox and Daniel Jones. They need to sign those two, and then they'll figure out what they can actually play with. And I guess the last story here is, could the Giants explore a trade for linebacker Whitney Merciless? This comes from Giants Wire, and uh, I don't know. They made a very compelling case. Merciless was around before Bill O'Brien came on with his uh, staff. So it's not like they're necessarily tied to him or in love with him or he's a Bill O'Brien guy. They have a decent pass rush already with J.J. Watt. And, I mean, this is if Jadavian Clowney sticks around. I think they put the franchise tag on him. So it all depends on what happens with Clowney, I guess. If Clowney just is like boxing, is like, no thanks, then maybe they need to hold on to Merciless. But if not... And you know, the problem is he would incur a cap hit of around $8 million, so that would kind of take away an ability to make decent offers to Jones and Ox. But, hell, he's on the last year of his contract. So if you can make it work for this year, could be a nice addition. So, all right. Another weird, weird, weird show. It's a giant mess, folks. That's how we do. Um, please give me a call and leave a voicemail. I don't think we got any voicemails this week. I might be wrong. I forgot to check because I'm a fucking idiot, but the number is 862-BIT-1986. That's 862-BIT-1986 to leave a voicemail. Um, or just reach out to me on any of the social media platforms. You can go to facebook.com slash giant mess. Check me out on YouTube. Uh, screen name is Real Cinch, as it is on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, I'd just like to dedicate this show this episode but more importantly this show uh to my father who passed away july 13th 2006 um he's really the impetus behind this and behind most of what i do um you know i want to leave a legacy whatever that is um something to be remembered by something that can be passed along you know to my daughter when she's of age that she can pass along to her kids uh after i go and, uh, you know, I know he would be proud of this. He's proud of everything I, I did. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't show a lot on social media about him or my feelings, but people who know me know that I miss him each and every day. And uh, in a way, I feel like I'm talking to him when I do this. So thank you for indulging me. I hope you enjoy this and I hope you stick around for much more to come. Adios, muchachos.